And so we've taken the hammer out and um, appreciate your kind words on the series. Uh, I think it was a challenge for me personally, probably a challenge for most of us to hear something again and again and again because it just takes time to get hammered on before you're shaped into something worthwhile. I want to give you a view of the road ahead. The next three weeks, beginning today, I want to look at the temptation of Christ, Matthew chapter 4. Then in the month of February, the month of February will be our last month in this building. Uh, praise the Lord, uh, and God willing, eight weeks from this Sunday, from today, we'll be in the new building. So that's hard to even imagine the changes that are going to take place in the next 12 weeks. Um, but I want us to be prepared for moving into a new building, so I'm going to do a series that helps us think about why we're here, what we've been built for. And I think you know by now, we have not been built for moving into a new building. <laughs> we've been built for the glory of God, built for the gospel. And so um, nobody's been particu- particularly captured or enamored by this gymnasium. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. I think it's been healthy for us. But it's easy when you have a piece of real estate that has your name on it to suddenly move from a renter's mentality to an owner's mentality, and you might lose, and we might lose something that I don't want us to lose, and that's a focus on who God is and what he's called us to do and how the building could forward that and not be a hindrance to that. So we'll look at that through the month of February and probably a week or two into March, and by that time we'll be in the middle of the Lent season, as we make our way to uh, Easter in April. And so we'll have a short series that uh, takes us through some passages uh, towards the cross so that we get our eyes focused on the right thing as we move towards Easter. So that's, uh, if that's, if you're somebody who needs some parameters and an outline to feel comfortable, well, there they are, and you can uh, now know where we're headed. But you can really be in prayer for the staff and the building committee and the elders and the deacons as lots of these details now come together in the last uh, eight weeks to make all the transition happen. And you can really be in prayer for yourself because there are going to be some things that we come across that we just hadn't anticipated. There's going to be some changes in that building that we just wouldn't experience here. And so you just need to be prepared for grace. There'll be lots of opportunities to exercise grace. Uh, so uh, prepare your heart for that as well. Well, when um, I read through Jeremiah chapter 1, um, now several months ago, I got stuck on this one particular verse, and so I've been wanting to get back around to it, and now seems like an appropriate time. When you read through chapter 1, you immediately discern that God is the central character. I mean, most of the chapter is about what he has done or what he is going to do. God forms Jeremiah in his mother's womb. God calls him to be a prophet. God is going to be with Jeremiah. He's going to make him an iron pillar. He's going to make sure that the people don't prevail against Jeremiah. God's going to put his own words into Jeremiah's mouth. And God is going to use Jeremiah to proclaim judgment against the people Judah. But there's this one phrase sort of neatly tucked in here in verse 17. But you, 
now God's addressing Jeremiah, dress yourself for work. I mean, you have this whole chapter of what God has done, is doing, and will do, and then folded right here in the middle of the chapter is, okay, now Jeremiah, this is what you've got to do. You've got to dress yourself for work. In the NIV it says you've got to get yourself ready. In a, in a literal rendering, it's you've got to gird up your loins. It's that word picture that in the Old Testament the people would wear, the men would wear full length robes. And when you're ready for battle or you need to move forward quickly, you, you can't have that robe hanging around your feet. So you've got to gather it up and you've got to tuck it in your belt. You've got to make sure that as God's calling you to move forward quickly, nothing's getting in your way. Nothing, nothing's hindering you from service. So the command is for Jeremiah to free himself from all the things that would hinder him from service. You hear the command repeated a number of times in the New Testament as well. Luke 12, Jesus says to his disciples, Be dressed and ready for service. Peter tells the young church, Prepare for action. You've got to you've got to tighten up your belt. You've got to be ready. If if you're a high school football player or you've been in a weightlifting room, you know the guys that are going to lift a lot of weights. They have this big weight belt on, and when they're ready to really lift, they tighten up the belt. They want all the support they get. So when they're ready for this heavy lift, they're ready to move forward. They don't want anything getting in their way. And Jeremiah is getting prepared to do some massively heavy lifting. And if he really wants to serve God, if he really wants to make sure he's not hindered in any way, he needs to get himself ready. And so this phrase rolls around in my head and I've been saying, okay, I, I, I want to be ready. I don't want anything sort of tripping me up. I don't want anything getting in my way. But but what am I supposed to do? I mean, what I would have appreciated if Jeremiah had, if I, when I see Jeremiah in heaven, I say, Jeremiah, I mean, get yourself ready and then give me a five-point plan. I mean, you just kind of just skipped over that. I need some help on how is it I'm supposed to get myself ready. And that's the question I want to come out for the next three weeks. What does it mean? What does it mean if God has called you and He's called out your name and He's saying, you get yourself ready. Get ready. I'm going to require of you some heavy lifting. And what you need to know is all the things I'm going to do, all the things that I've done, all the things that I'm doing, but you've got to get yourself ready. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so I thought I would come at the answer by looking at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' preparation for his ministry. He, he comes out of relative, relative obscurity. We come to the baptism in chapter 3, and then we have this 40 days of fasting, and then he has three years of ministry. So this 40 days of fasting in some portion takes on a very important element of Jesus getting ready for his ministry. 
Now, now right away, without trying to identify anybody particular, I can see that there's some squirming going around. Because you're thinking, oh, you know, if the pastor asked me to fast for 40 days, I mean, maybe this is just a series I should skip. I mean, there's some other churches in town I've been meaning to visit, and the next three weeks seems like a good three weeks to do that. And you can relax. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I am going to ask you to look at the, the spiritual disciplines that Jesus uses to exercise against the temptations that would hinder him from service. And I think we'll see that what he exercises are things that you and I need to exercise. The, the things that we need to have in place in our life. So when temptation comes, temptations that would trip us up or hinder us from really serving the Lord, that we're ready to face those things instead of getting tangled up in those things in some way. So Matthew chapter 4. When Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after having fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, or Satan, the devil, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's important to know that the background to this particular piece, and that's Jesus' baptism. And Jesus comes to the River Jordan. He's baptized by John. And there is a, a meant to be a very powerful display of power and recognition. I mean, look back in chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18. There's uh, the heavens are opening up. The Spirit of God is descending down on Jesus like a dove. And then there, a voice comes out of heaven. I mean, everyone around that's watching this thing understands that we're uniquely identifying this one person. We're, we're setting this one person apart. He's been recognized. He's been honored. He's got a certain power that nobody else is getting at the baptism. And so it's meant to be a very obvious display that everyone could see. And then the Spirit immediately leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I think it's really helpful, just as an aside here, to note that in chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 4, that many times when, especially young, younger Christians, they'll think this to themselves. Why, why am I so easily tempted? I mean, if I were really following after God, I mean, if I were really full of the Holy Spirit, if I really understood what God's will is and I had the power to go in that direction, then I wouldn't experience all this temptation. But what do we see here? The one person who is absolutely full of the Holy Spirit, the one person who clearly understands God's will, the one person who really is in touch with God is led into a place where he experiences his greatest temptations. You see, so often you might think, gosh, if I just remove myself, if I, if I get myself out of the culture, if I move out into the country, you hear, hear this frequently, I just need to get out into God's country. 
But guess who moves with you when you go out? Satan packs his bags. He's very mobile. And so all the temptations that you might be facing right here are not necessarily a sign that you're not full of the Holy Spirit. You can't make those connections. And I think that's helpful for us as we just think about what Christ is experiencing here. He is the one who's full of the Holy Spirit, and yet he's facing his temptations. And what we need to learn is that no matter where we live, we need to be ready. So we'll talk about that. Satan first comes along, and the first temptation is to turn stones into bread. He sees Jesus. It's been 40 days. He's hungry. Satan has some sense of what happened at the baptism. He knows that Jesus has power. He's unique. He has a certain status. Hey, hey, I know you're hungry. It's not bad to eat. And you have power. Why don't you use some of that power for self-serving ends? You hear that temptation? You have a certain status. You you have a certain power. And, And why don't you just use some of that to take these boulders and spread out a buffet? It's it's a very real temptation for Jesus, and it's a very real temptation for us, is it not? To use your status, to use your power for your own ends and not for God's ends. I mean, could that not be the headline on the newspaper almost every day for the last week or two weeks with this whole situation with the governor in Illinois and the Senate seat that Obama left? I mean, could you not say, here's what's happening. A person who has status, a person who has power, is using his status and power for his own ends. Not for the ends of the people whom he serves. But you don't have to just look in the newspaper. You can look in these papers. You look back at King David. He has status. He has power. And when he invites a young girl to his chamber, he uses status and power for his own ends. The disciples understand that's the world that they live in. It's not different than ours. They understand that to be in a position of power, to be in a position of status, is something that you want to gain so that you can use it in some way. And so in Matthew chapter 20, a little later in this particular book, uh, James and John have a mother that get them in, he, she gets them in tow. Come on, boys, got a little question for Jesus. And she saddles herself up next to Jesus and says, Hey, you know when it's, when it's the right time, is it okay if one of my sons sits at your right hand side and one of my sons sits at your left hand side? I mean, I don't care which son, I'm okay with that. But but can I get them in the positions of power? And what do the other ten disciples do? Oh, they get angry. And now you've got this big brawl happening, and Jesus says, Okay, time out. Let's get let's get in the huddle. 
And he says this, You know how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? And their high officials, they exercise authority over them. Yeah, yeah, we know. We know how power works. We're interested in that kind of power. Not so with you. Not, not, no, not a lot of big language there. You notice that? Real clear. Not so with you. You know how power and greatness and authority and status works in this world? Yes, we do. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be great must be a servant of everyone. And can't you just see the disciples just trying to turn upside down? Because this man comes in and just turns everything completely upside down. My, my completely, my, my understanding of greatness in this world. Jesus says, do you understand it? And I go, yeah, 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 that's what I want. Well, it needs to be like this. And they must have just said, you must be from a, another world. And he is. And he, the only right-side-up person who ever entered this upside-down world, comes in and says, I'm giving you a completely new definition for greatness. It's not at all what you thought it was. Jesus informs all of those who plan to follow him that status, your status, your power, your position is strengthened only when you give it away. Your power, your status, your authority is strengthened when you only give it away. And when you choose to use it for your own means, it evaporates. It may not look like that way immediately, but it evaporates and becomes worthless How tempting it is for that, how easy it is for that temptation to walk in to the front doors of Christ Community Church. I mean, it's a very real temptation. And where do you think the focal point of that temptation rides for somebody to use their power or their status or their authority for their own ends? Where would you say that's most potent? For whoever stands right behind here. And if you're over 25, you know Many times how this position has been abused for self-seeking men. It is a real temptation for this person to use their status or authority or power and just get what they want. But it's a temptation if you're an elder. It's a temptation if you're a journey group leader. It's a temptation if you're on a committee. It's a temptation you face 
to somehow use your status, to use your authority, to use your power to say, I really just want to get what I want. So I'm going to get on this committee so I can get things done the way I want to get things done. And so we have a very powerful temptation, one that's faced Jesus right here in the garden. So how do we fight against that? I would recommend the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. Somebody said after 15 seconds in a group, the group gets nervous if somebody's not talking. We're just not used to silence. There was a big billboard, I think it was on 17th Street a number of years ago, advertising a cell phone company. And their slogan was, Silence is weird. <laughs> I really thought it was funny. I knew I was going to use it in a sermon at some point. Why, why is it weird? It's weird because we're used to being in control. And, and we're used to being at the hub of our own little worlds. And, and you know you're not controlling a lot. I mean, you know that. But you're controlling something. And you're very comfortable being wired to that 24-7. So you have access to your little, whatever revolves around your little hub. And you get to control things. And this, the practice of, of silence and solitude just completely decenters you. I don't know if that's even a word. Isn't it ironic that to get yourself ready to do something, to do some really heavy lifting, requires you to do nothing? And what I'm talking about here is sitting quietly before the Lord, not with your Bible, not with your journal, not with your favorite piece of music, not with another spiritual book, not with a piece of paper and a pen, in case you think you have any great insight. You're not going to have any great insight. Nothing worth writing down. To just sit for 30 minutes and simply be with Jesus. You see, it's my guess is that most of us here would say, Oh, I've completely centered my life around Jesus Christ. But would find it painful to spend 30 minutes with Him. 
You say, oh, oh, I need to be walking. I need to be getting something done. I got my cell phone on because I got an important. I got my Bible and I'm highlighting and underlining, memorizing stuff. Got my journal in case he speaks to me and some powerful thing that might be written in a book later to affect generations, you know, to come. I've got all that down. It's not what I'm talking about. You see, we don't like, we, we need a piece of paper and a pen. We need something because we feel like we're at the center. Something magic might happen to us then and we don't want to miss it. And when you sit with nothing else, it's decentering. It's not about you. Your plans, your hopes, your dreams, all the great thoughts that you have don't amount to very much. I hate to inform most of us. What really matters in this world is Jesus Christ and His plans and His dreams and where He's going, not where you're going. And when you're going where He's going, you're not at the center. You're not the most important. You don't have power. You don't have authority. You don't have status. Because it all resides in Him. And you're saying, I want you to be in control. I don't want to be in control. And the spiritual discipline to get yourself ready so that when you stand behind the pulpit or you get on a committee or you're the parent of a family to say, it's not all about me, is to sit quietly. And exercise the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude before the Lord. Now, I know I've already interrupted some of you all pretending you're taking notes, but you're just working on your to-do list. And you're saying to yourself, I'm not going to get this point in the sermon. I'm just going to wait until he gets to another point. Because, I mean, 30 minutes seems like... I can't do that. I mean, what a waste. I mean, there's so many. If I had an extra free 30 minutes, I could get all kinds of things done. I would say you're addicted to yourself. You are addicted to yourself. And you are not ready. So if we want to get ourselves ready, we have to get ourselves out of the center. And one of the ways we do that is the spiritual discipline that Jesus is exercising here in the text. Silence and solitude. It helps you let, let go of power. Let go of your plans. Place them in God's. So I want you to put on your to-do list to do nothing. Put that at the top of your to-do list. Do nothing with Jesus for 30 minutes. Second way I think this is a temptation for Jesus and perhaps the more obvious way. Satan's question brings into question God's goodness. Or, can you really trust God? I mean, you can hear Satan. Jesus, um, I mean, you've been out here a long time. 
Maybe he forgot about you. I mean, if God had any concept of how desperate you were, how near to death you were, how unique your situation is, the circumstances, I mean, he'd do something, wouldn't he? I mean, maybe he's just not paying attention. I mean, maybe he doesn't care. Quick! Save yourself! Turn these stones into bread. God's not paying attention, or he doesn't care, or he's lost track of you on his screen. And and quick, take the situation in your own hands and save yourself. When does Jesus face this same temptation again? When, When do you see this getting ready play out on a much larger screen? When is it? He's hanging on the cross. And the thieves next to him and the people down below him are hurling insults at him. And they're saying, save yourself. Can't you see God has forgotten? You're hanging on a cross. If you don't come down and save yourself immediately, you're not going to be worth anything. What what a powerful temptation. And he gave up all power. He gave up all authority for a massive salvation. Bigger than anything else you could imagine. By acting just the opposite of the way we would want to act. Quick, save yourself. And I'm guessing there's some people here this morning who've had some unique, powerful moment with God. They can say, oh yeah, when I was here, or it was when I went there, or at this age. But you may be saying, Paul, it's been a long time. I don't want to say it out loud, but it feels like he's forgotten. Or maybe he just doesn't care. And what I hear is quick, save yourself. Do something. Don't trust him anymore. He he may not be good. That's a very real and powerful temptation. And so how does Christ get himself ready for that temptation? What's the the spiritual discipline he exercises? So when that, that real and powerful temptation rushes into your life, you say, okay, this is, this is what I need to combat that right now. What is it? It's the Word of God. It is written. Satan, I'm not going on how I feel. I'm going on how it is written. 
I'm not navigating my life by my feelings. I'm navigating my life by the Word of God. My feelings go up and down in about three seconds. But I cannot trust my feelings. I can trust the one thing that never changes and will stay around forever into eternity. And that's the Word of God. And so Jesus firmly plants Himself on the one piece of navigation that He can trust. And it's not His feelings. And I don't think Jesus is just saying this to Satan. I think He's saying it to Himself. Self, it's written. Because I'm awfully hungry right now, and it looks like God isn't good, or He can't be trusted. So I'm reminding myself, what do the instruments say in front of me? Most of you know this, that when you get your pilot's license, you're not immediately able to fly in all kinds of conditions. The first level to a pilot's license is just being able to take off and land in relatively clear conditions because you navigate by the situation on the ground. But if you want to go up into a storm or clouds, you have to get what's called an instrument rating. Because you can get into a cloud, and even if you're a professional, you can get disoriented in the cloud. And you've seen reports of these people who are aces in a plane get disoriented, and they don't trust their instruments, they trust their feeling, and they fly their plane right into the ground at full speed. Thinking they're climbing. And so you have to have an instrument rating saying, my mind is telling me to go this way, but the instruments are telling me to go in an opposite way. I'm going to trust the instruments, not my mind, not my emotions. And some of you need to be reminded to trust the instrument. Not how you feel right now. But trust God's Word. Hide it in your heart. Now we know Jesus quoted Deuteronomy here in all these texts. But in 40 days and 40 nights, He had lots of opportunities to pull out the Word of God. And of course, I don't know. But Psalm 46 looks good right now. God is my refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. I will not be afraid. I don't care if the whole earth gives way. Or if the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Or the seas roam, foam and roar. Or mountains begin to quake. I am going to trust in God Almighty. I am going to be still and know that God is God and He is in control. And He will be exalted among the nations. And He will be exalted among the people. God Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is your fortress. Your feelings are not your fortress. Get yourself ready. Tighten up your belt. Spending time before Jesus. 
memorizing and using His Word. Let's pray together. Lord, these, these temptations are so terribly common. And they just leak out so naturally. It, it just seems so natural to use our status or our power or our authority for our own ends. And it's so hard to sit silently. Silence is weird in our culture. And it's so easy to be captured by our feelings and what just feels like it must be true without consulting the instrument of your word. And so I pray for, for me, tempted by these very powerful temptations. I pray for your people. And as we make our way through this chapter, that you would, would get us ready to be unhinged from these things so that we might really serve you. Lord, as we enter into this new year and the uncertainty of the economics of our time, I pray that you would multiply our giving in a way that helps people in need. In need of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.